It's easy to just kind of follow the same old patterns of doing things yourself without giving yourself the space to think about what is the most important thing that I should be spending my time on and anything that falls below that line, let someone else learn how to do it. And it's a growth opportunity for them. Welcome to another episode of Blood, Sweat, and CPMs. I'm your host, Kurt Donnell. In today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Gina Perino, VP of Ad Operations and Strategy at Blavity. Gina has led ad operations, account management, and programmatic teams at entertainment publishers ranging from Rhapsody, Songza, which was acquired by Google, Billboard, and Hollywood Reporter. She's assisted startups, early stage, and mature publisher brands reach and surpass their digital revenue goals. In for another great show today, so let's dive right in. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great to be here, Kurt. I uh, would love to kick it off with your background here. You have obviously a very interesting and long and winding road that led you to where you are right now, um, serving in a, an amazing role at Blavity. Give us the background here. So I started off as a newspaper ad salesperson in my co- in college. My senior year of college, I had some extra time in addition to taking classes, volunteering, and working at a restaurant. So I decided to take on yet another job. And I applied for um, a sales job where I was literally going around to the local businesses and um, convincing them to spend dollars um, in our student-run uh, daily delivered newspaper called the Daily Illini. And I remember you know, going up to a a pizza shop that had historically never advertised and drawing an ad on the back of a placemat and he's signed there on the spot. So, you know, just kind of using my my youth and creativity to, to sell ads. And w- what it really taught me was that, you know, journalism doesn't, doesn't come free, that it has to be either advertiser supported or subscription based or what have you. And that literally that job in college catapulted me in a very roundabout way to where I am today. So I made my way out of the Midwest to New York, worked in market research for a while, and then um, I was fortunate enough to join DoubleClick during what we call the first five, the first five years of double click the very early internet days and uh, kind of tapped into my sales and advertising background there, which is really what I've been doing ever since, either on the sales side, um, generating the business myself through client relationships or on the operation side where um, I'm kind of in the in the back of the house, doing the back of the house work and making sure that all of these exciting ad campaigns deliver while everybody else gets to go to the music festival for the on the ground experience. So, um, you know, I've worked at some really interesting brands doing that. I've worked at um, some music brands like Rhapsody, Songza, which was then purchased by Google. So I spent some time at Google. Um, SFX, which was an electronic dance music um, concert promoter that got very large advertising budgets and needed someone to come in who understood media. Um, Billboard, Hollywood Reporter, and now here I am at Blavity. It is an amazing background. I have to uh, dig in a little bit on the concert side of things. I love music myself. What's the best show you ever went to? Sounds like you had some opportunities along the way. Oh my gosh. Yes. Hundreds, hundreds. So it's hard to pick a favorite. I'm going to pick a festival um, because for me, going to Jazz Fest in New Orleans every year Uh. has just been a time honored tradition that I, um, 
it's just an integral part now of my life. I bring my eight-year-old now with me. It's just become kind of multi-generational experience because Jazz Fest is, I, I, I say this with much love for Coachella. It's kind of the anti-Coachella <laughs> in, my, in my opinion um, because they're like, yeah, there's a VIP experience, but most of the people are out milling about lots of different generations, different people. It's New Orleans. So you're going to get that New Orleans local flavor. The food's amazing. And they get everything from, you know, a local blues artist who never leaves, um, you know, Northern Florida, except once a year to go to Jazz Fest, like regional um, unique uh, flavor that you wouldn't get, um, you know, uh, if you, if you aren't in the region, all the way up to major headlining acts like, you know, the, the Fleetwood Mac, Rolling Stones, you know, classic rock and current. So um, I'd have to say that festival to me is the one that is the dearest uh, to, to my heart. I love it. I was lucky enough to overlap the tail end of that one time on a trip to New Orleans and man, it is an absolute treat. I, I love that. I should take my kids. I've got a seven-year-old, sure. nine-year-old, and it sounds like they're prime, uh, prime ages to get down to Jazz Fest. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. My son loves it. He's been going since he was in a stroller. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so jump into your current role right now. Share a little bit with the audience what Blavity does. It's an incredible mission-driven company, I would say. would love to uh, have you share that with the, the folks. Yes, Blavity is a media company that has a number of websites and in real life event experiences that cater to the Black millennial audience. So, our through our Afrotech conference, where we help Black entrepreneurs and business owners um, learn uh, tricks of the trade, if you will, on how to generate wealth and successful business. Um, there's an executive track where we will do sessions around how to get on your first board and things that are more geared towards executive. There's also tracks for business owners and everything in between. Um, and we also have um, several uh, journalistic properties um, that cater to news, travel, um, and uh, the, the names of those are Blavity, Afrotech, Travel Noir, 2190, and Shadow and Act, which is our entertainment property. So through our journalistic endeavors and our publishing, as well as our in real life experiences, we are writing in Black voices, we are catering to Black audiences, and really fitting um, a, a need that our founder, Morgan DeBond, felt that there were just not enough journalistic enterprises out there that were catering to Black America. You know, Black Americans uh, influence so much culturally. Um, it's their, their influencers. They influence what we buy, what, how we think. They're, um, you know, leaders in entertainment, sports, you name it. And there was a void um, in terms of websites that spoke to those people, as well as in terms of, um, you know, wealth generation and, and tips on how to have a, an equal footing. So um, everything that the company does is, is furthering that mission and ensuring that, um, you know, Black Americans have a voice. And, uh, and I am on the, the ad side of that business, making sure that we can monetize those endeavors. It is truly amazing work what you guys are doing in underrepresented, obviously, category within the media space. The um, just sheer volume being produced that represents that community is 
frankly, miserably uh, too low. And, and I appreciate what you guys are doing there. Speaking of the in-person things, Afrotech this year, I think you're doing it in person for the first time in a couple of years after obviously the COVID uh, hiatus put things uh, to bed for a little while, unfortunately. I think you're doing that in Austin this year. That's correct. This year, Afrotech conference is coming back. It's in November. Um, it has been uh, it's been a long time coming to assemble everybody in a in a space. Um, we did it virtually for two years, creating our own Afrotech metaverse, which in and of itself was a really unique experience. Um, very cool. Um, it was uh, literally a virtual conference world where your avatar is walking to the different stages, and there were a lot of uh, DJ sets, which of course I went to with my <laughs> passion for music. Um, and they really did an excellent job long before, you know, um, cer certain major tech companies were even talking about meta metaverse. Um, and now here we are, uh, 2022, it's coming back better than ever. That's awesome. Speaking of sort of the Web 3.0, I know it's an initiative you guys are working on right now from an education standpoint. Share a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. Blavity has a mission to uh, educate and onboard 50,000 Black people onto Web 3.0. Um, the goal is to create opportunities to participate in the economic and artistic power structure of the future. Um, so by educating people on what this is and providing the information, just as we did with our journalistic endeavors, just as we do with our Afrotech uh, conferences, the idea behind educating this group that's been underserved, underrepresented, underinformed, and making sure that they have an equal footing in this future of the web and future of wealth creation is a very important mission for Blavity this year. I love it. Uh, all the things you guys are doing to create is it's just so impressive. And I guess on that front, it sounds like you guys are launching a bunch of new franchises as well. You mentioned when we were doing the, the prep for this, maybe share a little bit with the audience about that as well. Yeah, we, we actually have been um, really significantly building our content creation teams. Um, we have a goal of launching 18 web series, original web series, um, by uh, over the course of the next year. Um, the goal is to um, run the gamut in terms of content. Um, you know, obviously people come to expect certain um, uh, business and tech uh, uh, original content from our brands, but there's also some really fun stuff in there. I watched a, a, a newly launched episode about a dating game based on your astrological sign, and there's some, <laughs> just some really fun stuff in there. Yeah, you only get to go on the date if you guess the sign <laughs> of the person that you want to go on the date with. That's and so, awesome. Yeah, I would be probably pretty terrible at that. But um, so just really fun stuff, trying to beef up our original content, understanding that, um, you know, being in this game uh, of, of media is it's important to have your own original content. It's one thing to curate, which is always important as well. But, uh, you know, putting putting your stamp on this type of content, knowing what our audience wants and isn't getting enough of from other sources. So what is your astrological sign? <laughs> um, I am a Sagittarius. Okay, I'm an Aquarius. When was the last time you read a horoscope? Uh, it's been years. I got no idea. Literally, <laughs> I know nothing about this. It's it's amazing to me that people are like, oh, you're such a whatever, Taurus, da, da, da. I have no idea. It makes no sense. But I think I do know that Aquarius, <laughs> Aquarius is a water sign, right? I think so, yes. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I, I don't know. It's we not a uh, deep impact on my life and how I go about my day. I, I do know that piece. 
<laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's I would we we would do poorly on that show. So yes, I guess we're not going on a date. So my wife no. probably appreciates that. Um, oh, yeah, as my husband would too. <laughs> so uh, putting on your ad ops hat here for a minute. What are the things that are keeping you up at night in the ad ops world, or some of the big focus areas you guys have inside of Blavity right now? Yeah, so um, focus areas for us right now on the ad ops side are. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's keeping me up at night, but we share a lot of those same. Um, Concerns is probably not the right word. Um, developing the correct response to the industry trends that we're seeing around identity and uh, and first party data and all of the cookies, all the same issues that are impacting um, publishers worldwide are you know obviously impacting our ad ops and ad ad tech team as well. So we're you know making sure that we are working with the right partners so that we're prepared for any kind of changes that come our way. Um, but what what I think is a little bit unique unique to Blavity, and it's probably also uh, a shared experience with other news organizations, is that we get a, um, a, a lot of our revenues generated from direct advertiser relationships. We get a lot of direct business. While I also oversee the programmatic um, revenue side of the house, our, our, our meat and potatoes of what we um, generate in terms of ad revenue does come from these direct relationships. And Blavity has an excellent sales team that is speaking with you know all the major brands that you would imagine through automotive and financial services and consumer packaged goods. Um, and they want to reach our audience and that's important. But when we get the campaigns live, we suddenly find that there are exclusion lists, keywords, things that words that come up in our content all the time, like the, the name Obama, like just, just general words that come up in our content as publishers that are creating um, uh, content for black audiences. And our advertisers are, you know, blocking certain content because of these exclusion lists. So we're trying very hard on the ad op side of the house to get ahead of that. We have just brought on um, a measurement and real-time targeting tool that will enable us to have the same access to the reporting and the measurement that our advertisers do so that we can meet them, meet their, meet their needs and, you know, kind of try to find why advertisers are very happy to give us their uh, their uh, um, budgets, which we're appreciative of. But then when it comes to actually delivering on those campaigns, we, we, ch we are challenged. We have challenges sometimes. So most of our investment over the course of the coming quarters are around, you know, measurement tools, making sure that we've got, um, that we're on an equal footing with our advertisers so we can meet the need and meet the market where it is today. Do you find that's mainly an education exercise where you've got to work with the brands and explain this to them? And how open are they to that? We work with a lot of news publishers as well. And so we run into these same issues. We tend to be a little more on the programmatic side, so don't have that direct interface quite as much. I'm curious how that interaction is with the advertiser or agency when you explain the issue. Do they kind of have an open the eyes moment or what happens there? Yeah, so we're really just starting to have those conversations because first we wanted the data. We wanted to actually have a measurement tool in place so we can see why are uh, some of these um, campaigns registering so high as being not brand safe when they're running on 
you know, sites where we feel like the content is brand safe. So we've got the measurement and the tools in place. And now the education phase is the next phase. And I do think that, um, you know, speaking from um, experience with our, um, you know, one of our ad tech providers who worked with a lot of publishers, and some of those are also black owned, black audience um, publications, um, they have started this process and find that the agencies um, or the brands themselves are open to hearing what we have to say. So in other words, when you can point out, here are some of the keywords on your exclusion list that actually we can gen- we can show you that we have content around those keywords that are more joyful in nature. They're not considered to be negative. People are not in a negative state of mind when they read an article on Shadow and Act about this certain genre of music that's on your exclusion list. So by but that that education process is the phase that we're embarking on now. But we understand that there will be more open mindedness around it, um, especially when we can prove that um, so, you know some of this content is really uh, integral to the community and some of those terms by by eliminating them, you're eliminating um, whole fragments of content that are, um, you know, important and meaningful to our audience and will jeopardize the, um, d- the delivery of a, of a campaign meeting its full goals. It is funny when you see, obviously, the target audience of something being excluded by virtue of the content, that that push and pull is sort of ridiculous 100%. when you think about it, right? I know, I know, I know. And, you know, we, we, we understand that standards are necessary. We understand um, that brand safety is necessary. Um, you know, I think um, right after the um, invasion of Ukraine occurred, um, when in the early days, someone sent me a link to a piece of content that was reporting on this devastation and then an Applebee's ad came on. And so it was like, okay, as a consumer, I can see why that's, there's a disconnect and that it felt jarring to then see two people clinking, you know, mugs of beer. (laughs) So I get it, you know, as a consumer of media, I do think though that there's a more um, middle ground that we can all reach as advertisers and journalists to make sure that um, when you are looking for a certain particular audience that you don't exclude the content that is meaningful to that audience. And that is, uh, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why um, people come to Blavity is the content is written by people who look like them. And that's important to underserved audiences. That's, yeah, couldn't agree more. As somebody that obviously understands the push and pull of advertising and media and all of those things, have you guys played with subscription models or any of the other alternatives to just an advertising supported model? Not anything we prepped for leading into this, but curious uh, what you guys have been thinking about sort of the next version of monetization of content. Yes, that's actually something that I, um, I I am not directly involved in those conversations, but I know that it's part of what we're uh, talking about is the other ways to generate revenue. We obviously have a thriving um, conference business, a thriving ad-supported um, web media business, but um, taking some of those um, super users, people who are on our newsletter list and people who are willing to spend extra money when they go to an Afrotech conference and buy the NFT and not just buy the actual, the, the regular ticket. But, you know, we have people who are willing to go above and beyond our, and there are super users and trying to create an experience for those individuals that will give them you know, access to content or window content or something that is, uh, like I said, an NFT, um, something that is 
um, more valuable and special. We are certainly looking at uh, you know monetizing um, our our assets that way. Um, I, I I can say that as part of that Web 3.0 initiative, um, you know th- NFT and things like that that are. Um, interesting to our Afrotech audience, um, you know, we will certainly be offering that um, as part of the Afrotech um, uh, ticket holding um, op- options later this year. So that's that is an area for growth. And you know, how long do you window content for, and what do you charge, mm-hmm. and all of those conversations are um, are ongoing. That's awesome. Are you creating your own NFTs then? Yeah, we we did for the <laughs> uh, awesome. for, for the Afrotech conference. Yes, I. Personally, I'm one of the people who needs to be better educated on um, <laughs> Web 3.0. You can put me yeah. in that bucket with the 50,000 people that we're reaching out to. But um, but it is certainly interesting to think about, um, you know, the the future of the web and and the equality of it and having a, you know, leveraging the blockchain to track, um, you know, you, you get a you get an NFT to Afrotech in 2022, but that can actually entitle you to future things that we haven't even thought about that we're mm-hmm. releasing yet because you're an OG Afrotech attendee <laughs> with your NFT. So, um, you know, there's just kind of, it's kind of limitless the, what, you know, the creativity can generate in terms of what that grants you access to in perpetuity. And that's what I think is just really neat. And we're only just starting to scratch the surface of, of what that can become and what that looks like in the future. It's awesome. Turn the page here a little bit to the leadership side of things. What are you focused on with your team right now? What are you trying to do to build a better organization? I think our audience always loves to hear little tips and tricks and things from folks of what they're working on. Yeah. So we um, actually just onboarded a new team member last week, which is exciting because we're like your typical AdOps team lean and mean, like we, we <laughs> operate with a small group of people handling millions in business, right? It's actually um, just kind of for anybody listening that, um, you know, runs an ad ops team, this is probably not an unfamiliar concept to you. So when you add one person, you, you actually just, you know, increased your productivity by X percent. Um, so, you know, making sure that we're hiring the right people and aligning them with different um, goals. So largely one of my goals is to continue to take the areas of oversight that I've been responsible for and pass them on so that other people that are a little earlier in their career get more responsibility and more visibility in the organization. So we're um, going to be in the process of onboarding um, a a new um, ad server. I won't be super specific about it because it's still happening, but um, we're not leaving GAM. This is for a niche product. Um, (laughs) Jeez, what are you crazy over there? (laughs) felt like GAM wasn't for us. No, just kidding. Um, It's it's a niche product that needs a different server and we're onboarding a new vendor. And whereas myself or my associate director would have normally been the people in charge of that project, we're, we're kind of like pushing it further down the assembly line and making sure that other people on our team get a chance to um, work with our vendors, vet our vendors, um, and kick off, um, you know, the, the onboarding of the new tech. So it's the 
so I guess that services both of our goals, right? We've got the goal of, of making sure that our technology is aligned with the marketplace needs, and it's servicing the goal of making sure that the people are moving up in our organization are getting more exposure to the projects that make our team thrive. And uh, previously, I'd say that you know myself and my associate director led almost all of those projects, but it becomes increasingly difficult to do that. And um, you know, also participate in the strategy for the team and the hiring and all of that. So we're getting much, much better about passing along responsibilities and giving people a certain niche of oversight. One ad operator is going to be, you know, our reporting and analytics guru. One is going to be our programmatic guru. One is going to be aligned with the direct campaigns that have the highest um, complexity to them. So um, the the campaigns that were, you know, fewer advertisers, but a lot more detail behind these longer term pro, um, projects and and so on and so forth. So the idea of creating areas of specialization so that people begin to feel like experts is um, something that we are um, uh, focusing on pretty strongly in, uh, in 2022. I love it. It's not a novel concept, but the element of delegation is one of the hardest things, I think, of leadership, of being willing to give away something that you did before and um, you know, we've been doing a lot of that growth. Our company has grown, basically doubled in size over the last year. And with that, the level of communication that it takes, but partly giving away your Legos a little bit and saying, hey, those are yours to go do. And as you move up in the company, giving away the things that you did and actually narrowing your focus, it's sort of a weird dichotomy where you get more senior and you actually kind of do less things, but at a higher level, is it an interesting kind of mindset shift you have to have and the willingness to trust somebody else to do something that you could probably do a little bit more quickly, but by the third time they've done it for you, you've already saved time of not doing it yourself is a tough one. And something I've battled certainly in my career, we've got a lot of mid-level folks in our company that are stepping into that first management level and the giving away things is so hard to do. So I love that you're doing that and, and giving folks the opportunity. It is. It's very hard. I I remember what uh, in the early days when I was in sales, I mentioned briefly the market research company I worked for. That was my first job in New York City. And it just the thought that I would be hiring someone onto my team and giving them half of my account list as a seller, I was like, heck no, terrible <laughs> idea. I'm not giving up that account. And what it taught me early on is that lo and behold, by me focusing uh, my my efforts on a much smaller client list and giving the other accounts to a new person, we generated more revenue. And I guess I was fortunate to learn that early on, but it's still very difficult to practice <laughs> until I was forcing you to do it. It's very so difficult to, to give those things up. The, the importance of focusing on working on the business, not in the business as you move up is, is a tough one. And I find myself fighting it. I I shared this with you earlier. I got COVID a couple of weeks ago, the day before I was supposed to go on a trip to Italy to our founder's wedding, which just broke my heart and probably my wife's a little bit more. Um, but I had this week where my calendar was empty and I got to just sit and work and think. And I was locked in a room because I had COVID and trying to keep my family uh, COVID free, which they stayed, which was awesome. But reminding yourself to take that time to look up a little bit and think about stuff and like, okay, I really shouldn't be doing this and delegating. It's a, it's a tough thing to do, but man, for any leaders out there, I highly recommend block your calendar off for a few days a month and just think it's wildly important and impactful. <laughs> 100%. You don't have to get COVID in order to do this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just in true. case uh, you have any concerns about that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's, um, it's easy to just kind of follow the same old patterns of doing things yourself without giving yourself the space to think about 
what is the most important thing that I should be spending my time on? And anything that falls below that line, let someone else learn how to do it. And, and it's a growth opportunity for them. Yeah, we have a our quarterly planning meeting coming up next week and I had each person on our leadership team and sort of more broadly put together their own personal sort of leadership goals for the next quarter. And one of the things that made them expressly write down are what are two or three things you're going to delegate and what are two or three meetings that you're not going to attend and have somebody else on your team go do so I can hold them accountable to that and, and you know, stepping up and seeing the forest of the trees a little bit. So That's great. And so, especially since you're pushing it on to everybody else to do, because then th that will have a major impact on you from the entire organization perspective. Hopefully. So to wrap things up here, sticking with the leadership vein, what is some advice Gina of today would give uh, a younger Gina about how to go about her career or life? So speaking about leadership, I was a, a manager very early on in my career and I wasn't great at it in the beginning. Um, and uh, it took a, a lot of time for me to learn that um, it, it, for new early career leaders to kind of take your emotions out of things. I would get mad if someone quit. I'd get irrit irritated if someone printed off the wrong directions. This is completely dating me because I'm talking about like, <laughs> remember for map anything? <laughs> map quest. Printing <laughs> map quest. Yes. Taking it with you in the car and your papers are everywhere and someone got printed the wrong map quest. And I'd, you know, I'd find... I didn't have patience or grace. And that is something that's really important to being a leader is take your emotions out of things. Don't be frustrated. Mistakes happen and people learn from mistakes. People don't necessarily learn from you yelling at them other than they don't like you yelling at them, but they learn from making a mistake and fixing yeah. it next time around. And now we have GPS, so that's not an issue. Um, the other thing um, that I think is important that I didn't know as an early manager because I was in... Um, uh, uh, the what the radical candor podcast um, refers to as superstar mode. So I was very motivated to enhance my own career and move up and constantly be taking on more responsibilities so I could move to the next level. And as an early manager, I think that's also what I rewarded and my employees were yep. people who were in that same mode of their career. But there's also a rock star mode. And the rock star mode is when you're very, you're also an excellent contributor, but you're very um, happy with the position that you're in. You don't necessarily need to be constantly moving up to the next level. You're going to excel being um, an expert in that area that you are overseeing. And the individual can move between those different modes um, at any point in their career. And it's oftentimes based on life circumstances. So um, as an early manager, I uh, rewarded superstar mode more than rockstar mode. And I would see myself reflected in the superstars and, you know, would give them accolades, raises, what, you know, what have you. And now as a more seasoned leader, I fully understand that in order for a team to be successful, you need both uh, of uh, the, the rockstar and the superstar modes on your team when it comes to your best performers. So don't, don't ignore your rock stars. They're very important to the success of your team. I truly could not possibly agree more with that. And it's something that has taken me a while to get to acknowledging that you can be a tremendous, and I don't mean this negatively, individual contributor, but be the best at that thing. And you don't necessarily have to be leading people in that you're managing them. You can be leading people by example and be the mentor. And this is how you do this job at its absolute highest level and be very wonderfully content in doing that. And that 
doesn't mean you don't have ambition or any of those things. It is just that I'm the best at this thing. And it took me a while to see that, that it doesn't have to be climbing some ladder or whatever that may be. It took me a really long time too. In fact, it probably just starting a family and moving more into, you know, a a rock star mode myself, um, which I did pretty late in life. So it took me a while to learn this lesson. (laughs) So anyone listening who's early in your career, you know, just, just remember that your individual contributors are just as important uh, to your team's success as those who are leading teams and moving up and wanting to take on more, which is also wonderful. And I really appreciate my superstars too, but um, both, both are important. Gina, thank you truly so much for joining us today. This was a pleasure. It's always a treat to get to talk to you. I love the work that you and your company are doing and you're just an amazing person and inspiring leader. So thank you for the time today. That means so much coming from you. I've listened to every (laughs) single episode of of Blood, Sweat, and CPM. So the fact that I'm actually participating in one now is like very exciting for me. So um, (laughs) thank you very much for including me in a really great series. Thank you again to our special guest, Gina Perino, for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have a spare moment, please check us out on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or your listening platform of choice. Please leave us a review and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For feedback or suggestions for guests, you can reach us at podcast at freestar.com. As always, special thanks to Matt Hanline for our music and our marketing team for helping with editing, production, and making sure people know this podcast exists. Until next time.